Hi there, this is Yarrow and welcome to my podcast, The Yarrow Podcast. So if you don't know who I am, just a brief overview. I've been an online entrepreneur since I was 19 years old. I've had various businesses. I've had some service agencies. I've done a lot of content marketing, sold products that I've created myself, like online courses, eBooks, a membership site. And currently I'm the co-founder of inboxdone.com, an agency that helps manage email and calendar scheduling and other executive assistant tasks for busy professionals, entrepreneurs, anyone who has too much email, basically we step in and provide you a couple of assistance to help deal with your email. So I mentioned all of this in case you've never heard of me, but I also mentioned all this because this range of experience I've had, I've almost out, I've almost always been the chief of marketing or the main force that drives marketing sales, bringing in new customers. So because of that today, I wanted to do a discussion and a little bit of a tutorial on the difference and the purpose behind two formats or two um, ways of thinking about your marketing, whether it is intent based or discovery based, and it could even be both. So first of all, what exactly is intent versus discovery. So intent, I find easiest to describe by using Google because most people know what a Google search is. You go to Google, you're looking to find something, you have an intention behind what you're doing. You're trying to solve a problem, you're trying to find information. Uh, even if you're just trying to find entertainment, there is an intent behind the action. And if you're a marketer trying to reach people and you're looking to find someone who has a, a problem, you maybe sell a product or a service that is the solution to that problem. When you can get in front of someone who has the intention to solve the problem and you have the solution, naturally you can imagine that is a wonderful situation to be in uh, because the energy is very much aligned. You have a, a hungry buyer, as they would say, and you have the exact uh, thing they want to buy, hopefully, right? Obviously there's a lot of layers to your selling process to convince the person that you are the right solution, but knowing they have the intent to find the solution to solve the problem in the first place is definitely an advantage. Now I've had a couple of businesses where I've had intent-based uh, marketing is a big part of it. Uh, my current business, Inbox Done, I am the CMO, and we definitely do a lot of Google-based marketing because we're looking to get in front of people who have the intention to solve the problem of too much email, and they go to Google to search for a solution, and our website shows up. So I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. The other format of marketing that's quite common, in fact, may even be more common, is what's called discovery. Now discovery is without intention, basically. So a person may not specifically be looking for something, but then they come across, they discover this and then realize it is something they might actually want or need. The thing with discovery, the intention not being there, the energy is often not there immediately. It might take several um, exposures to something, several discovery points of a product or a service to then decide to maybe buy it, to even look into it and then possibly buy it. Now the thing with, with discovery, it's often based on using some kind of advertising platform where you know, you're showing up in a person's feed. That, I say that today since social media is one of our most common uh, places we go to consume content. So whether it's a, an Instagram feed, a TikTok feed, um, Facebook, even YouTube ads, basically any place where you're seeing advertisements in media where the advertisement itself isn't 
in response to a specific search for a, a problem, a solution. The intention is not there. Uh, the Super Bowl is a great example. You know, the intention of watching the Super Bowl is very much entertainment. So every single advertisement on the Super Bowl, uh, the football, for those people who don't know, it's American football, um, the biggest uh, sporting event in the world, um, besides the World Cup in, in soccer, uh, most people know what it is. But the ads on the Super Bowl are always discovery-based. Now, you might argue they're even more than that. They're just branding-based advertisements. But it's a good analogy, a good example of a type of ad that definitely is devoid of intention. You know, if you were going to watch the football game to improve your football game, and then you saw an ad for a coach on how to improve your football game, you might say there's intention there. But that's not what people usually go to when it comes to watching uh, the Super Bowl. But when it comes to maybe scrolling through your feed, you know, you're getting your posts from your friends, people you follow, and then you might get an ad that it's not directly targeting the thing you were looking at because you were possibly just there scrolling away absentmindedly, entertainment, education, could be either of those reasons. And then this ad pops up that does strike your interest. So you've discovered it. That may lead you to look at the, the website, you know, you click the, the view more, the read more, whatever it is, more link. Um, you probably won't buy then, but at that point, you've already told the person, the advertiser, the marketer, that you have some interest. You've discovered what they do. They're probably going to follow you around with some kind of retargeting uh, media. You, you might start seeing their ads on other websites. Um, you might subscribe to a newsletter to get more information, and then they're going to follow up with emails. You might just choose to follow them on social media, so you start seeing their posts. So you've discovered them, and then you're making a choice, sometimes voluntarily. Uh, sometimes it's not really voluntarily because of retargeting, but you kind of volunteered when you clicked on their ad. Then you're going to see their media in other places on repeat. And some people, a small percentage, will go on to actually buy the product or service that's being advertised. So discovering, discovering type marketing generally has a longer uh, lead time. It takes longer for the sale to come in um, because you have to build more trust. You have to deliver more information. You have to reach the point where the person actually decides, I'm ready for this. Now, there could be many reasons why it takes time. It simply could be they're not in the right position yet to purchase, or maybe they're not convinced that you are the right solution yet. Uh, there's many things that can lead to whether it's one week, one month, or one year before they actually buy from the point they discover. Now, with intent-based marketing, it's usually a slower lead time because there is more urgency behind the need. You know, you've typed in the search because you're going to actually try and solve this problem within a short time frame. And I find it quite interesting. I'd love to actually help illustrate the difference between discovery and intention-based marketing and how I've experienced it. Um, just from various businesses I've had in the last 20 years and how I've marketed uh, my products and services that I've sold. So if you go back in time, the very first business that I basically was marketing in any shape or form was a card game business. And I had a, a website. It was This is before Google. So the search engines back then were, I think, Yahoo and Excite and Lycos. Uh, there weren't a lot of, um, no social media very little video-based content, a lot of text and images at that time, but there definitely was e-commerce. And I had this uh, content-based website about a card game called Magic the Gathering that you may or may not have heard of. Not really important if you have or have not. It's a collectible card game that people can play in tournaments and just collect and play for fun. So the cards have value. People buy these cards. I was uh, writing content myself. I was inviting other people to write content and I sold the cards through my website. So it was basically an e-commerce business. 
Now back then to reach my customer, um, most of the time it was very much discovery based. So I knew where people existed. Uh, it was in news groups, places like for other forums where people were talking about this game. There were a few newsletters as well. And I was able to just go and participate by basically sharing content in these community based places and then make people aware that my website exists, which in turn made them aware that I was selling cards there as well. It was a soft sell, first the content, then the product. Now, that of course led to word of mouth. Uh, I've started to build my own community with a forum. And over time, I was able to rely on my existing audience and less so proactive marketing. But there was definitely a discovery-based approach there. Um, I didn't really show up in any kind of way for a person looking for the cards to purchase. Maybe I started to over time in, in certain search engines, but there are a lot of other sites that were much bigger. I wasn't ranking in search results. Back then, search results were very arbitrary as well because it, it was before Google. Um, it, it was very much based on keywords, but we won't go down that rabbit hole right now. Uh, what matters though is that was a form of discovery and you know taught me some basics that you're going to sometimes have to go out there and meet people where they are to get a customer. Fast forward a few years, I have a new business. It was an essay editing agency. So I provided uh, contract editors who did editing services for university students, often if they were coming from another country where English was not their first language. So getting some proofreading would help them to improve their writing and thus improve their grades. So I had this website, I built it. It was ready to get customers, but of course people just didn't automatically discover it. Now, Google started to play a part in this. So this is the first time where I started to play with intent-based marketing. However, I didn't rely just on that. I knew I'd actually need to do some discovery-based marketing as well, or at least I thought I did. So I was gonna experiment with both. And there's a reason why I thought I'd need both, even at that stage. Intent-based marketing, while the person with the intent leads to a sale usually quicker, it's actually hard to build up the assets that result in showing up for intent-based marketing in particular with Google search. So while I was busy producing content for my essay editing website to help it rank in Google and doing a few things to help improve those rankings, like getting some new links coming in, I won't go into the full story there because that will be a discussion about SEO, search engine optimization. But needless to say, I was doing SEO to help my articles rank higher in Google to capture that intent-based intent search, usually around phrases like, hire an essay editor or essay proofreader or thesis proofreader and even local based search like Sydney thesis proofreader, for example, country or city based proofreading. So while that was happening slowly, I was actually going out there and doing things to help people to discover the service as well. And I realized people by default didn't go looking for an essay editor uh, as a university student. It's something they might need, but never actually decided that I need to go search for this. And that was just something was the nature of what I sold. There wasn't a hungry audience, so they need to be exposed to it to realize it was even an option. Now, over time that changed, uh, people started to you know, realize they could get proofreading done. And of course the internet became a solution. So, you know, by the third or fourth year of running that business, I was getting more customers from Google search, but certainly the first few years I was going to university campuses and putting posters up, paper posters with a little website, pull tab, you can take off, go home, open up your computer and go to our website. And I had some very, very plain and basic uh, copy on those, on those posters. It was like essay editing, big font that's just designed to get people's attention as they're walking by. 
um, those bulletin boards in university campuses. So that was basically the two main uh, formats of marketing that grew that business. I had some discovery with posters, and then I had some uh, intent with SEO to help my website rank higher. Uh, and that was interesting because those two methods probably accounted for about roughly 50% of my new customers each year. So they, they worked equally. Now, fast forward after that, several years later, I get into the, the real content marketing game. I became a blogger. I became a podcaster. Uh, if you know me for a while, then you probably know, know me for my Entrepreneur's Journey blog, which I started in 2005. And then a podcast came, which this is still a part of uh, more than, oh, what's that, 15, 16, 17, 18 years later now. Um, and that, that's a whole story I won't share. You can go listen to my origin story podcast. Uh, it's in the archives of this show. The most important part was I became a content marketer and also an information marketer in the sense that I sold education products, information products like courses, ebooks, a membership site, as I mentioned earlier. Now, that business was part of a boom of blogging, and that was the first form of social media, the first time you could leave comments and interact with the author of content. It was an amazing time during those early years of blogging, and it was very much powered by Google. Google, of course, was becoming even more popular more people searching. Now, what was interesting at that time, my website wasn't super specific, as in I knew exactly what I was selling and who I was selling it to. That was purely my own fault. I was just figuring this out. I was new to blogging. I wasn't considering myself a coach or a person who sells digital products. I had to kind of move into that. Before that, I had, as you could hear, a card game e-commerce site and an essay editing business. I never considered myself a teacher coach type person. However, as time went by, I started to refine my message. I started to refine what I was selling, who I was helping. And it became clear that in order to attract a certain type of audience that would potentially buy my course, for example, I would need to write certain articles. So although my writing at the start was sort of all over the place, it was like a journal sharing entrepreneurship stories, I realized once I had a product, in particular my first ever course, it was called Blog Mastermind, the, the 1.0 version, that I should start creating content specifically talking about the art of making money from a blog. By sharing content on that topic, it would start to rank in Google. People who would have uh, a search intent behind things like how to make money with a blog or how do I grow my blog or what's a good format for writing a blog post. My articles started to target those type of searches. I started to rank for them. Therefore, I started to attract that audience, get them onto my newsletter slowly build trust and then sell my course. So it was definitely more of an intent-based business purely because it was a very content-driven business. I was a writer. I did not consider myself one before I started a blog, but the blog certainly made me into one. And that drove the majority of my audience. Now, other things happened along the line. I did some product launches where I had affiliates who were promoting my launches. So I got some audience that way, which it's a form of intention as well because those people found their audience somehow and then they sent that audience to me, usually using an email newsletter. So I got the intention from their recommendation. They're saying, Yarrow knows a lot about how to make money blogging. He has this free resource. You should go get it. That's a big intention. You know, they're ready, ready for this information and they're ready, excited to potentially you know, learn how to make money from a blog business. So most of the time there was intent-based intent traffic. Uh, discovery was less so. Now, over time, the internet became more crowded. Uh, I started to do, like a lot of people started to do, use a little bit of discovery marketing, especially around, oops, oh, there we go, especially around uh, Facebook ads. At the time, Facebook was quite new, 
but it was becoming uh, as popular a platform for advertising as Google, which well and truly it is today. Still not as big as Google, but certainly the number two advertising platform as I'm recording this. So that's again, more of a form of discovery. So like a lot of coaches, online marketers, I started releasing videos and images just talking about a free resource I had around making money blogging. It was a free report back then, then it was a video series. And that was more geared toward discovery. You know, I'm telling people, hey, I exist. I'm a, a teacher coach on this subject. Now, I get the feeling you probably don't need me to explain much about that because today, you no doubt have so many online coach experts, teachers, people explaining or proclaiming to have a solution and, and a coaching program around something to do with marketing or business or growth. And there's so many of them. My, my Instagram feed, my Facebook feed is just full of people offering help um, in particular because I run an agency. I get a lot of ads pointed at me to help agencies grow their business. So you probably get similar ads for whatever kind of business you're in or whatever type of information you're looking for. You start to see ads on that topic. So it's way more crowded now. People tend to rely a lot on discovery, but Google intent is still very important as is other forms of intent as well, like affiliate marketing. So fast forward through a very long career of blogging and content marketing, I found myself where I basically am today with my current business, inboxdone.com. Again, a services agency with a very clear value proposition around helping people with email. So this, because it's such a well niched down topic, made it very easy to do intent-based. Well, I should clarify, not easy. Very easy to understand how to do intent-based, but there's a lot of work to build up the content, to build up the links, the authority, in order to get people who are searching in Google for help with email for our website to show up. So as soon as this business became something I was serious about, once we've done some early tests, I knew that creating content, going after Google search would be a big part of what we did. So we've been doing a, a, a long ongoing process around that. However, discoverability is still a big part of this too. And we're moving into other formats of discoverability, like for example, podcast advertising. So we do two types of podcast advertising. One's really not advertising. I go on shows as a guest. I talk about a subject, usually um, how to delegate and break free uh, to grow your business and get time back. Uh, of course, I mentioned delegating email to assistants during that talk, which can lead to getting customers. Now that tends to be a form of discovery. It's not like they came there looking to listen to an episode of a podcast about email management, but because I introduced them to this idea and I have this company that provides the service, they discover it, they show interest. And in fact, podcasting uh, as a guest has been the second best format, uh, a second best source of new customers for the business, at least as I record this now. Um, outside of that podcast advertising, again, very similar. Instead of me being a guest, we're just doing sponsored content. So the, the host is talking about us as a sponsor. If you're a podcast listener, you know all about that. Most podcasts have sponsors. Um, and these are all different types of discovering discoverability mechanisms. Now, so that's my experience with all of uh, my businesses. And I, there's a lot of things I'm not talking about, a lot of little marketing things and I've done that have worked and have not worked. No time to go over all of those, but I wanna switch the attention back to you because you may not be clear. When is the time to do intention-based marketing and when is the time to do discovery-based marketing? So I'll start by saying the answer to that question starts with what you sell and who you sell it to. So the clearer you are on your target market and your USP, your unique selling proposition, what makes you different, the way you present an offer that appears unique to a specific group of people, the better refined you have that, 
the easier it is to do both types of marketing, but especially to do intent-based, which usually is easier. Again, easier is the wrong word. It brings you a customer who's ready to buy, closer to the point where they're ready to buy because they have the intent to look to solve a problem. So if you have anything that's a solution to a problem, whether it's a service, a digital product, an e-commerce physical product, if you can get in front of people searching for that solution, especially on Google, of course, then you've got a major powerful source of, of new customers. And I should clarify, that can be organic Google and also paid Google. We do both. You have to do both generally because, you know, there's paid results and there's organic results and you want to be in both. Um, there's a lot of work that goes on to make those things efficient and effective. You have to, especially with paid advertising, you have to be earning money on what you're spending. Organic takes time. So there's definitely pros and cons there and you got to work on both. But if you can get that intent-based customer, it should be easier for you to convert them into a customer. But like I said, if you don't know what you sell and who you sell it to, it's hard to do the intent-based marketing because you you're, you're kind of going all over the place. You're not sure. That's okay a little bit. Like you're not sure exactly the right target audience to go after, but you have a good general direction. Um, maybe you're not sure the exact keywords to create content about, but you have a general direction. That's good because you can start testing and refining and actually get some real feedback. But if you're not sure if your customer is, you know, a business owner versus a graduate at university versus the CEO of a large company, and I'm talking only in the business world here, um, then it's harder because you don't know which groups to go after. You don't know which topics to present. It's difficult. Now, discovery comes into this when perhaps you just can't compete in the intent-based because there's a lot of big companies selling similar things and they, they already dominate search on Google. Discovery tends to come into it. Discovery also comes into it when you just might have a product or service that requires a bit more of an education cycle in order to sell it. So you need to have people discover something, go through some kind of early training, then they feel, okay, they know what you, you do, they know whether you're a good fit for what they have, and you may have even convince them that they didn't realize what their problem actually was until they went through your education cycle, and now they understand their problem better, they see your solution as the solution. So you're kind of building up not just trust, but you're creating the conditions. You're actually almost manufacturing that intent through education. So there's discovery, the education creates the intent through creating awareness, and then your solution is therefore the right one at the right time. Now that's often where people use direct response marketing. You might come up with a webinar or some kind of workshop where you're presenting a training. It's that training that generates the demand through education as well as sales. And then of course, at the conclusion of your webinar and probably in a series of emails afterwards, you're selling your product or service. So now all of these things can work, but a lot of this does depend on where you are, like I said, with what you know about your target audience. Have you made any sales before? Do you feel like you have a channel you can grow into? That's a wonderful place to be. Even if it's intent or discovery, it doesn't really matter. If you feel like this is working, we can spend more money and it'll keep working, you should do that. If you're brand new and you've never actually sold anything online and you, know, you don't have a viable channel for new customers, that's when you really have to start throwing things against the wall, small budgets, experiment, try and get in front of enough eyeballs to get some kind of conclusion whether it works or doesn't work. And that's for both intent and discovery. Generally though, uh, discovery has more options. There's way more different platforms out there to show up on, whether it's all the different social media, it could be Pinterest, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, now known as X, um, Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube ads, uh, even Google display ads, 
all of those are more discovery based and then you've got everything else out there you've got press coverage um, you've got newsletter advertising podcast advertising all these things are just putting you in front of people who may not know you exist and maybe they do need what you have but not yet or maybe they need some education first they discover you, whatever it is. So there's so many options to play with there. Uh, my own company in Bogstan, we, we actually experimented over, we were a number of years old now, we experimented with sponsoring a conference that we thought had our target audience, no results. Um, we did some LinkedIn advertising, no results. I did some Twitter advertising, got a result, but then no results. So started good, then failed. These are all experiments. Uh, while we were doing that, though, my podcast guest marketing was working, so we continued doing that, and Google will start to work, so we continued doing that. Now, it's hit and miss. Sometimes it works for a little bit, then it stalls, goes backwards, but you can generally see a thread when things can work, and you can push harder, refine, incremental improvement, get better, and get a result. Um, with intent, because you have fewer options, it's really you just going after Google, I would say, right now. Uh, organic and paid. So if you don't have those, at least on your marketing um, timeline, I would put them on there. It may not be your first attempt because let's face it, Google organic is slow and paid can be difficult to monetize if you're brand new. You might just lose a lot of money. So it might not be your, your strength either. Now, on this topic of strengths, um, whenever I talk about marketing to people, especially if you're you know in charge of it, but you don't have a lot of resources, it generally makes sense to go where your strengths are. So because I had that 15 plus year career as a content marketer through blogging, it wasn't hard for me to see SEO as an option for any business. Didn't matter what I do next, I was confident that content would play a part of it. In fact, pretty much any business idea I have, if I get to the point where I'm really taking it seriously, I know I'm gonna be starting a content strategy. We're gonna be writing articles, we're gonna try and rank in Google for certain very long tail keywords, and we're gonna get some customers. Probably not in the first six months, but 12 months and beyond, and the, and the longer you do it, the better it generally gets, I'm gonna get free customers from Google if I have the right product or service, you know, product market fit, and I'm good at content. You may not be like that at all. You may love crunching numbers in a Facebook ad, and in which case you probably should sit there and, and manage your Facebook and Instagram ads, play with different media, work in different ad groups and different audiences and try and get to the point where, you know, you're getting all your customers there. And you can go very, very deep and far because there's so much audience on that platform. Or you may go way more niche. Uh, influencer marketing is, is a great place to experiment right now because you can start with small budgets. You can go to targeted audiences based on the audience of an influencer. It's always going to be discovery based, obviously, because they're just going to be talking about you out of the blue or your product or service. But you get that endorsement and you're, you're able to target people who talk about subjects that are related, no doubt, to what you sell. So it's not perfect. It's definitely still discovery, but you start to get a bit of intention, at least from the audience demographics. They probably have shown and demonstrated an interest in what you do. For example, if you're in productivity, uh, you might have an app around productivity. You can go to all the productivity influences or just a few of them. Start with small ones. If it works, go to bigger ones and you know test your product there with a, a campaign so that's always an option there's a lot of other options out there but you really just have to go with your resources and sometimes just with your gut feeling to start with too obviously this gets easier as you get more customer feedback you get f more and more customers you start to see patterns you start to understand why they chose you how they found you uh, and then you can hopefully and this is ultimately i should let's start to wrap up this uh, episode the goal here 
for all businesses, especially at the early few years, is to get a dependable and reliable first source of customers. It needs to be dependable and reliable because you can't grow without cash flow. And if you don't have a way to know you're going to get a certain amount of sales, certain amount of income, you can't hire new team members. You can't expand into new marketing methods. So the goal is to find at least one, it's probably going to be two, maybe even three, but at least one source of customers that you can rely on. So it can be paid advertising. It can be intent. It can be discovery. It doesn't matter. It just has to be reliable. So every business is different. And I will say, especially as I record this, uh, for a lot of companies today, that is paid advertising on whether it's Google or Facebook, it's probably going to be one of those two. Uh, that's just where all the audience is uh, because it's such a large audience and they also have very good platforms for targeting and refining your targeting of those audiences, then a lot of companies can get their first customer streams there. The downside, you are at the whims of those platforms. It can be reliable, especially, you know, the longer you do it, the more it seems to be consistent, but you've got that risk of a tweak in the algorithm, a change in the rules, a big competitor entering your space, able to spend more money, um, you know, to buy the ads and you can lose that source. So that's why, you know, it's always good to have more than one. Uh, one is the starting point because you need the cash flow to grow and expand. But I would definitely recommend looking to, you know, move into other ones. That's why if I'm going to just narrow in on Google, because I love intent based by far my favorite, I would always look at, okay, we can do paid to start with because that's the quickest if we have a budget. But at the same time, we should start organic, especially as we learn more from the paid. The great thing about paid Google ads, is you start to learn what keywords work, then you can start creating organic content on those keywords as well. Because then you're hedging your bet. Over time, you're going to start having some organic results. So you've got both sides, the paid and the organic coming in. Of course, you're still dependent on Google then. So there's obviously the platform dependency. Um, one of the best things you can do is start to make your own asset. A lot of the most successful entrepreneurs I know have an email database because that's a marketing channel they own. And usually the people who get onto that newsletter have some kind of interest. So you're sort of, you're starting to turn a discovery person into an intent person. They found your blog, they saw your ad, they attended your workshop, they opted in for some kind of free resource. They're now on your newsletter. You've got the ability to go back to them over and over again with your email and just show them here's some value and here's the product or service we sell and you own that database. Now you have to find a way to keep feeding it, but if you start to build out that, it's called a funnel, you probably know what a funnel is, then that's, that's, that's the goal. Uh, a, a, a funnel of reliable customers you can market to or potential customers you can market to who will become customers and it'll be steady, you own it. And the great thing about that is you can feed it in, in many methods. So if Google decides to change the rules, you can go to Facebook. If they change the rules, you can go to Pinterest, you can go to uh, PR, you can go to influencer marketing, newsletter advertising, podcast advertising, feed them all into the same newsletter sequence and you'll have that great reliable source of new customers. Okay, um, I'm going to wrap it up there. That's pretty much all I can say at the moment, I think, on the difference between intent and discovery. And I hopefully I gave you some context. Uh, it's just good to know and understand that. Obviously, to learn how to do these things and create all these campaigns is not a simple discussion. I would do a whole podcast on any of the things I've talked about here, whether it's email marketing, workshop campaigns, webinars, uh, Google search and optimization, paid advertising. So these are all subjects and skill sets that you either need to learn or delegate to other people. So remember that. Don't feel overwhelmed because at the end of the day, 
you can do this step-by-step, step, bring on experts to handle certain parts. Hey, I'm not doing my Google ads, just so we're clear. And I'm not writing my content anymore for my main company either. It's I'm, I'm, I'm just like controlling the, the people who are helping me. So you don't have to, you know, be the, the source of everything, especially long-term you can't, you won't grow past a certain point if you're the one who's controlling everything. But at the beginning you can be. So choose something, a strength, master it, get good at it, pick a platform to go after. And you'll definitely start to feel more confident too. Obviously every new sale you get will boost your confidence as well. Um, one last little tip I'll throw in too. If you can add a recurring subscription product to the mix, it certainly makes cash flow easier as well because naturally each customer is a recurring customer. So you, you have cash flow for a little longer. It's not just one sale, you get the repeat. How long that is, all depends on your retention rates. But you know, it could be a year and a year of cash flow from one sale is better than just one sale of cash flow. So, okay, I'm going to leave it at that. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Yarrow podcast. You can find it in all your favorite podcast players. I also record this in video. It's just me talking though, so I'm not really any different. And you can watch that on YouTube or Spotify. Um, and if you want to subscribe to my newsletter, head to Yarrow, Y-A-R-O dot B-L-O-G, and you'll get my content that way. Uh, and if Anything I talked about regarding delegating your email, please do check out inboxdone.com. I would love to help you solve that problem if that is a, a big issue in your business. Okay, that's it for me. My name is Yarrow, and I'll talk to you again very soon. Bye-bye.